Hey everyone, this is Rose Daly, the City Sustainability Coordinator of Sun Prairie, and you're listening to the Sustainable Sun Prairie Podcast, the show that aspires to educate, empower, and engage our listeners in all aspects of sustainability. Whether you are a seasoned sustainability enthusiast or just beginning your sustainability journey, each episode will have something new and exciting for everyone. Let's begin the conversation for a greener community. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. So in the United States, we actually live in a world that is built for passenger vehicles. We have thousands of miles of expansive roadways that reach almost every corner of our country. And this is convenient for us because it allows us to travel to destinations quickly. Um, However, these highways and freeways are continuing to expand and that's through the addition of more lanes or lengthening the reach of the road to other parts of our country. And something interesting I found is that in Houston, Texas, there is a freeway named the Katy Freeway that spans across 26 lanes, making it the nation's widest freeway. In addition to this, our neighborhoods and towns are sprawled, leaving us no choice but to use vehicles to get from home to work or to the store. The majority of us, unfortunately, don't live in a location that makes alternative modes of transportation feasible, such as biking or taking public transit. Now, what does all this mean in terms of sustainability? According to the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, the United States transportation sector accounts for 29%, or nearly one-third of all greenhouse gas emissions. If we break down this transportation category, we can see that 12% of the greenhouse gases are emitted by airlines, 20% are emitted by freight and trucks, and a whopping 57% of transportation emissions come from passenger vehicles. And these are going to be, of course, your standard cars or SUVs that all of us own. So clearly, car transportation is a major driver of climate change here in the U.S., If we're able to remove passenger vehicles from our roadways, this will drive down emissions, result in reduced road congestion, increase the life of our roadways, and also increase safety. So there's a lot of benefits there. We can strategically reduce car transportation by introducing public transit options such as buses, rideshare services, and trains, which have been shown to produce significantly lower greenhouse gas emissions compared to passenger vehicles. These options, of course, still allow us to get to our destination, but they're overall better for the environment. So with all that being said, in this episode, we are going to have a conversation about public transit. We'll look at public transit options available in Sun Prairie, discuss the up-and-coming bus rapid transit system, or BRT, that is becoming popularized in the U.S., and we're going to determine if public transit does, in fact, advance the triple bottom line of sustainability. We'll also dive into what our future roads will look like. And spoiler, they are not going to keep expanding like the Katy Freeway in Texas. Now joining me here today is Alexander Brown. He is the transportation coordinator for the city of Sun Prairie, and he has served in this role for the past 2.5 years. So he works on everything transportation related for the city, everything from bike, biking trails, bike infrastructure, and our public transit systems. Welcome, Alexander. Hi, hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, finally warming up outside. How are you? Yeah, it's like a nice <laughs> 11 degrees out. <laughs> nice and balmy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a little bit nicer out. So I am really looking forward to our conversation today. And I thought a good place to start is just to look at our little local environment here. I want to better understand what public transit options we currently have in Sun Prairie. 
Absolutely. So for public transit here in Sun Prairie, we are served by uh, Metro Transit, which is the uh, regional bus system for Madison, which also serves, of course, our neighboring suburbs of Middleton uh, and Fitchburg and Monona recently. Um, so currently here in Sun Prairie, we have two local circulator routes um, throughout the city, as well as one uh, regular route from our park and ride that goes uh, into Madison seven days a week, running roughly about every half hour. Okay, that's awesome. I'm happy to hear we do have some public transit here. Um, when did this come about? Like, how did we get to where we are today? Was there kind of a progression in our public transit? Like, did we start somewhere or is this kind of our first step? Very much so. And this is a pretty dramatic change for where Sun Prairie has been in recent history. So, um, as you know, as I'm sure some most of your listeners probably know, Sun Prairie continues to be, one, to this day, one of the fastest growing communities uh, in Wisconsin. It wasn't that long ago that this was a much smaller community. Um, and as such, Sun Prairie had a publicly subsidized shared ride taxi system. This was a system that was publicly subsidized uh, by, by the city um, that was a demand service. So kind of like a typical private um, private taxi system, uh, except that the average fares were, uh, were a bit cheaper. So more in line of kind of what we see for public transit systems. As, as the city grew to the size that it is today of about 38, 39,000 and became in some ways a, a functional suburb of Madison, there became a lot more uh, talk within the community and in uh, city committees and commissions, particularly our transit commission, about the importance of having a more formalized fixed route public transit system. Mm, okay. One thing that came, and that started to come about um, eventually in 2019 when we introduced our first metro transit route uh, back when the routes were by numbers, that was called Route 23. Um, that was a commuter service route that ran from the capital uh, to the park and ride and serve the Prairie Lakes uh, area as well. That ran about three uh, three times in the morning and three times in the afternoon during those peak commute hours uh, for the longest time. Obviously, of course, the um, pandemic hit and that affected public transit in all sorts of ways. That was no exception here in Sun Prairie. Uh, and that not only affected public transit, that affected um, transportation in general, uh, including the, the taxi industry, including our shared ride taxi. Um, and this was a perfect, um, unfortunate storm of events here. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we had lower ridership um, across the board for the entire, uh, entire section. There were, there, you may also recall that there were labor shortages across all industries, and this hit the taxi industry and transportation industry particularly hard. Right, I bet. And, yeah. Um, and while it was already in the dialogue to start uh, planning for uh, local service here in Sun Prairie um, to kind of like what we see today with the full-time service, uh, it became clear um, and it was part of the Transit Commission's purview that there was an added sense of urgency here as we were having uh, multiple instances because of all these challenges of the uh, service that we had with the shared ride taxi not being able to meet hours consistently. Um, so whenever we have a situation where people are ordering rides and those rides are not coming or those rides cannot be unreliable, it was contingent for us to do something. So th that led to, and we'll talk about this more later, but um, to the where eventually we piggybacked on to the city of Madison's redesign for their transit system uh, and kicked off the full-time service we have today uh, last June. Oh, okay. So we kind of had this natural progression from a taxi to a local transit system, but the pandemic catalyzed that. Exactly. That really okay. exacerbated um, a lot of the problems that we saw. 
Okay, so it sounds like our system has been in service for about six months now. Can you share some information regarding ridership? Yeah, absolutely. So we get information roughly on a monthly basis uh, from Metro Transit as to how, how all of our routes are, are doing. Um, certainly when this went before the city council, um, and obviously council asked kind of how we would determine whether or not this would be successful. Uh, one thing that is less important than an actual number is to look at the trend in ridership. Are we seeing a consistent rise from a month-to-month -month basis? That will be al the ultimate signal uh, to us as to whether or not this is successful. Uh, one thing I'm very happy to say is that since June 11th, consistently without fail, uh, from month to month, uh, ridership has been growing in a, in a, in a very big way. Um, the, the latest numbers we happen to have right now are from November, but just between July and November, uh, those numbers uh, almost doubled. Um, wow. So at least an 80% increase. So just for reference, on routes S and W, we had uh, roughly 1,400 boardings uh, in oh. July. So we're talking thousands of people yep. per month. Wow. And, and then by November, that went up to about uh, 2,500. Um, and it looks like that's, that's continuing to rise. Keep in mind, of course, that that does not include um, the rides of many people uh, at the park and ride who are transferring on to Route A, uh, which is the route that goes into Madison. Uh, and last time we got stop-level data, um, that accounted for about a third of rides um, taken within some prairie. So it's really reasonable that that number to this day is really more like 33 or 3,400. Okay. Uh, just doing some back-of-the-envelope math here. Gotcha. So we have like a conservative estimate, but we should anticipate higher numbers. Exactly. And of course, this does not account for people uh, transferring in the bus, for example, when they're coming into Madison and staying on the bus to go into some prairie. Those oh. numbers aren't counted as well. Okay. I see. I see. So the numbers we have here are really the most conservative estimate, but the reality is that it's significantly higher. Okay. That's awesome. I Because I was curious myself if it was hundreds of people or thousands of people, but to me, it sounds like our transit system is pretty successful. Do you anticipate the trends ever plateauing or becoming more stable than the continuing increase? There probably will be a certain level of plateauing and certainly part of what's going on here. And um, this was uh, kind of shown from Metro Transit and generally transit system um, experiences from introducing transit to a new area is that that takes roughly two years, um, not, not to a digit, but roughly two years for um, those numbers to be really baked in. And that's partly because people are familiarizing themselves with the route. Obviously, a lot of my day-to-day -day work is still just helping to get some prairie familiar with taking the bus. Some of those questions mm -hmm. about, you know, how do I get on the bus? How do I wait for the bus? How, I, how do I get off the bus? Right. That can take a few years. And so, obviously, the trend that we're seeing right now is going pretty high. But eventually, someday, that will become a little bit more of um, a flat line and then fall more in the trend of what we would see for the metro transit system in general. Okay, and I totally get that with the two-year baked-in time. Um, I know people can be really hesitant about riding the bus. I know I used to be because I was like, well, how do I pay for it? Is it cash? Is it card? Like, where are the bus stops? How long will it take to get to my destination? So I'm happy to hear that you're continuing to push out that information to our residents. Absolutely. So what would you say is the overall like value of this new transit system for our city? The overall value is uh, can be described in a few ways. Uh, for one, and I think really the biggest one, is that this is really the first time that here in Sun Prairie that we've had a seven-day-a-week option for any sort of 
utilitarian or commute travel other than single occupancy vehicle that's um, in any way realistic. Okay. Um, our shared ride taxi system, when it existed, did have some special shuttles that went out to East Town Mall, um, but that but that's about it. Um, and this is this is something that kind of happens every half hour, seven days a week. Um, and for a community like Sun Prairie, where the vast majority of people when they commute are really commuting out of town, mostly to Madison, mm-hmm. uh, that that really is a game changer in the in the long term. Um, and I know you'll be talking a little bit more about this lately, but that. Um, that can really start to affect the pocketbook when you're someone who decides to uh, transition from driving your own vehicle into and out from Madison every day to uh, maybe taking public transit every day. Yeah, so true. This is such a huge improvement for our city. Um, So you had kind of mentioned that we have two routes right now for our public transit. I think you said W and S. Yep. Um, so these routes, you said, do travel to Madison, and how often do they make stops along that route? Sure. So routes S and W are two circulator routes um, that loop around the city. They themselves don't go into Madison, but they all meet at the park and ride with uh, Route A, which does oh. go into Madison. Okay. Got that it. Route A being the future uh, bus rapid transit route, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later here. Yes. <laughs> But uh, so Route W and S are what we call, one is a ridership route and one is a coverage route. Route W does a shorter loop uh, within central Sun Prairie. So um, for anyone here who's listening, who's familiar with the area, it starts at the park and ride, goes up through Prairie Lakes, loops onto the interstate to uh, go over sort of to the intersection of uh, Bird and Windsor, uh, hitting up some of the housing up there. Um, There's like an Ace Hardware uh, Dunkin' Donuts, a few other grocery stores up there, looping back down around West Main Street along that main commercial corridor and looping down to O'Keefe. It makes that circle uh, every half hour from 6 to 6 on weekdays. Okay. So that is kind of what we call a ridership route because it is more frequent, it's a bit more convenient, mm-hmm. and we see a little bit more frequent ridership on that route. Route S is what we call a coverage route. That one runs um, every hour, but runs a much bigger circle throughout the city, so a lot more people could technically take it. That one starts at the park and ride, heads up O'Keefe, down Main Street where it goes to our downtown, uh, loops back up onto Bristol Street uh, until we get to the edge of the business park, loops over onto Tower, and then heads back down south past the Vandenberg Heights neighborhood, past the pack, and then onto uh, Windsor Street going over to Grand Avenue and then serving that entire commercial corridor going past West High School through Prairie Lakes until it comes back uh, to the park and ride. Um, So again, that one runs every 60 minutes, but that one covers much more of the city. Okay, wow. You like have the whole route memorized. Like, I love that. For anyone who's not from Sun Prairie, feel free to jump into a map and you can try to trace the route yourselves. Otherwise, I think we do have maps available right on our website. We do. Okay. Absolutely. And um, just a little plug for anyone who is interested in riding the bus, there are two ways in which you can plot what your potential route would look like. You can either go into um, Google Maps and just pull up directions, uh, just like you would for your car, but you press the little bus icon Mm -hmm. um, and you can get it done that way. Um, Metro Transit also encourages people to use the, um, the Transit app. It's literally an app in the App Store just called Transit, um, which works in a, in a similar way, too, and that has um, real-time tracking information in case we're running into assist, um, some issues like we had in the past week where icy roads might cause traffic delays so that you're not um, sitting there wondering where the bus is. You know exactly when it will come and exactly when it will get you to your destination. 
Okay, that's awesome. It sounds like we just have a ton of information available to make this really easy for people. Absolutely. I think another question I have is what is the cost of the bus? Because that's often something else people ask about. And how do you actually pay for your pass? Absolutely. So there's a few options, but the main fare, if you're just a person walking onto the bus, is $2 a fare. Um, And that can be paid uh, currently, and that will change um, probably by the end of the year here. But currently it's either by cash or you have a bunch of different pass options that that you can buy. Those can be uh, 10 ride passes or 31 day passes, etc. And I would encourage people to um, visit the city website um, and visit our FAQs to see more about what your options there. There is $1 fare for um, seniors and people with disabilities to ride the bus um, as well. Okay, great. And I'm assuming those passes have to be bought in advance through the website? Yes, um, at, at this point. Okay, awesome. At the website or um, here in Sun Prairie, they can also be bought at the front desk, um, at City Hall, at the public library, um, where we're recording here, of course, and at the Westside Community Center. Okay, that is, that's awesome. Um, how about I drop the website link in the show notes so people can just easily navigate to our Metro Transit page? Perfect. Okay, sweet. So I kind of want to zoom out a little bit. We've talked about the details of the system, how people can begin riding it, where the routes go. Um, But what would you say are the major pros and cons of this system? And are there any barriers you see to our current transit? Of course. I think the pros and really, um, I think is really, I think really the whole story to this is that this is a vast improvement in terms of um, public access and affordable access to transportation other than a car from what has existed previously in Sun Prairie. Um, it's really a game changer for the city. Uh, coverage is is broad um, and it is reliable. Obviously, that reliability uh, depends somewhat as to where in the city you are located, uh, but it is overall quite reliable. There's never uh, you're never in any guess as to whether the bus is going to come on the half hour. Of course, if we're running into weather situations like we are lately, maybe it is five minutes late, but it's going to show up. Um, and I think what the cons are for the system is that at this point, um, we could use more. In order to make this uh, system work seamlessly um, and to make it financially feasible, this was essentially as rev- like revenue neutral and option as possible to make the switch from the shared ride taxi system that we had previously um, to the bus. Uh, so at this point, what we have right now is that, dep- like I referred to earlier, depending where you are in the city, transit can be uh, extremely reliable and extremely convenient. It's always reliable depending where you are in the city, but it's maybe not always as convenient. That right. is if you're living on some of the peripheries and you just have to wait on Route S, and depending where you want to get in Madison, that could still be a long trip. Okay. Um, and, of course, another uh, part of this is that paratransit service uh, and by paratransit for listeners, what we mean too is that when we talk about Metro Transit, this is technically two services. What we're talking about, you know, in this show for the most part is the fixed route bus, the vehicle that we see, you know, every day going past the bus stops. But from the Americans with Disabilities Act that was passed, uh, Metro Transit and transit agencies across the country also have to provide um, door-to-door like rideshare service uh, for anyone living within 0.75 miles of those fixed route transit corridors. Uh, who cannot make it to or from a bus stop uh, of their own accord. Um, And again, um, that service is really dictated um, by those corridors. So we would love to um, push that out eventually, have more um, fixed route service here in Sun Prairie, both just for the convenience of the fixed route service itself 
but to broaden out that buffer to cover 100% of the city. Um, so again, we are very close to that right now, but we'd like to kind of push to get that from like what's essentially right now about 95, 96% coverage to 100% coverage. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask about our current percentage. Honestly, that's not bad, but I do see the value of getting to 100%. Do you think that could be fixed by adding additional routes or adjusting the routes that we have? It could. Um, certainly, when you're talking about modifying a route, um, what ultimately dictates those is, uh, is time. One of the reasons why drawing these, reason, uh, these routes was so tricky um, is because when you want to bring service to one area, you know, that's great, but it has to fit within a certain time domain and it has to get back to the park and ride to transfer over to Madison in a pretty reasonable amount of time. So there can be sort of the uncomfortable question where, okay, so I'm just using this as an example. If we get closer to the business park, that's fine. But then who do we have to cut out service mm -hmm. to in order to make that timing work? I see. So it's really a calculus there. So really... Um, for the good of the city, it would be better for us to um, add more routes. Okay. You know, so I think a good example here is um, we're much more new to the game here than uh, you know, some of our other peer suburbs like Fitchburg and Middleton. Uh, but, but for perspective, um, we put about five, 550 to 600,000 per year purely in local money to public transit. Fitchburg and Middleton are really putting something more like 1.1 million. Wow. So that's about double um, yeah. uh, what we're doing for uh, what is what are both smaller cities than Sun Prairie. Okay. So we have a bit more ground to cover to maybe get that comparable level of service. Yeah, sounds like we have to catch up to our neighbors. So since we're kind of talking about finances right now, um, I wanted to go back to talking about the financial benefit of our transit system mm -hmm. as compared to driving a personal vehicle. Because um, as you had said, you know, bus fares range from $1 to $2. They might even become cheaper if you buy that bulk pass package. Um, so I did a little bit of digging into the financial benefit, and what I found is that according to the American Public Transportation Association's Transit Savings Report, I don't know if you've come across that, but they suggest that taking public transit instead of driving a personal vehicle can save close to $13,000 annually. And at first I was like, wait, that's way too much money because I don't think I spend that much on my car. Um, but this includes filling up your gas tank, oil changes, maintenance, and your monthly car payment. So if you do have those payments, then that's going to add up to over $10,000 for you. Now, I do know that car costs vary significantly across our country. So I looked for Wisconsin-specific data, and I actually found that Wisconsinites, on average, are spending about $10,000 per year on their personal vehicles. Um, and this was data that was reported by TMJ4 in 2023, so pretty relevant. Um, so what this tells me is that there clearly are some financial benefits to taking advantage of public transit systems. But what I'm most interested in are actually the environmental benefits. Before I get into that, though, like, do you have any comments on like the personal vehicle cost versus the transit system? Uh, certainly, that's um, that savings is probably even more than I would have guessed off the top of my head. Yeah, I was um, pretty shocked as well. <laughs> you know, certainly when looking outside, how many people are probably you know going to their auto shops and like getting winter tires and such like that? I can see mm -hmm. how that could add up quickly. Yeah, I guess just like thinking about numbers, and I'm just going to do this off the top of my head, but if you're spending, let's say, $2 a day, you're taking the bus five days a week um, to go to work, let's say, so $10 a week you're paying for the bus, and then 52 weeks in a year, $520 to transport yourself to work, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to a couple thousand you would spend on your vehicle. And I know we probably can't use transit for everything right now. Um, people probably have to drive out of Dane County, or they need to get somewhere very quickly sometimes, so 
people are still probably going to be using personal vehicles, but there's still going to be a significant cost savings there if you can transition some of your transportation over to public transit. Certainly. All right, so now I want to jump into environmental benefits because that's my true passion, right? Certainly. So when we think about emissions of buses over cars, the first thing to point out is that personal vehicles do achieve much better gas mileage than buses. Obviously, right? Vehicles are smaller, they weigh less, um, and they, they're, they're built to have higher efficiencies per federal guidelines for car manufacturers. Now, in terms of real numbers, we're talking about the average personal vehicle achieving approximately 21 miles per gallon, whereas a bus might achieve three to four miles per gallon. They're also making probably more frequent stops than vehicles would, but of course that depends on where you are within the city. Now, I think what's important to point out, though, is that even though buses have worse gas mileage, they're able to carry many more people, of course, than just a passenger vehicle. And this is the most important factor in determining emission levels for the buses. So if we instead look at emissions in terms of passenger miles, like emissions per passenger mile, as opposed to emissions per gallon of fuel burned, then we're able to see how much more efficient public transit is. So according to the Federal Transit Administration of the U.S. Department of Transportation, bus transit produces 33% less CO2 emissions than the average personal vehicle. Now, this number is specific to a bus that has only a quarter of its seats filled. So even though it's not at its full capacity, it's still reducing emissions. Now, if instead all bus seats are filled, it's at 100% capacity, the emission savings jumps to 82%, which is huge. So that's kind of like the average data for our country. I, again, wanted to bring this back to our local data. So I kind of did a back of the napkin calculation based on the numbers you gave us for the average ridership um, and then also like the average commute in this area, which is about 20 miles. So based on all of that, um, I pulled some data from the National Transit Database so I could look at uh, efficiency of our buses, and I determined that our public transit system releases 36% less emissions than if the individuals who, who rode that bus instead drove a personal vehicle. So I think this tells us that our numbers are very close to the national average. And again, if we are able to see full capacity in our buses or our transit systems, then we will see that number jump up significantly. I would imagine so, and probably even more so because, um, as you might know, you know, Metro Transit is making the move to make its fleet all electric and quite a bit of its um, fleet already right now is electric so i imagine that that number would go up significantly uh, once they make that jump oh definitely i'm excited to see what those numbers are like would it be would we like surpass 90 percent for a full capacity electric bus that would be so cool that would be amazing <laughs> so stay tuned everyone we'll have an episode on that later on all right so you just mentioned electric buses and i know there's like this new system called bus rapid transit or brt yes that has kind of like it's becoming so popular and i was really digging into this and brt is like the coolest thing ever um and like i mean you work in transportation every day i don't so when i saw this i was like what we need to get brt here in sun prairie but for anyone listening who doesn't know what brt is could you kind of fill us in on like what it is how does it work and how is it different from like a traditional bus sure absolutely um and i think one i think maybe common misconception that we have here in sun prairie and a question i get a lot is well wait we have service to madison isn't bus rapid transit already here uh well well no it's not um, what we have right now and what exists across Madison is just a typical bus system, which, of course, are those typical 40-foot buses that follow a fixed route, um, you know, and they stop and pick up people uh, roughly every quarter mile or, or less wherever there happens to be a bus stop. 
Uh, what we have here with bus rapid transit is a fundamentally different form of public transportation. Uh, the best way to think of this is that this is really light rail that you see in a bigger city, but without the rail. Uh, these, this happens to be the largest grant uh, project that Madison has done in its entirely his in its entire history, and it's not. Wow. And frankly, very little of that money is actually going to the to the large sixty foot buses. Why it is um, so important is because we. Uh, the major roads in Madison, like you know, East Wash and Mineral Point and University, uh, those are all being reconfigured to uh, have special transit signals and special transit lanes, so that when a bus, for example, is going through uh, rush hour, uh, it does not. It has a different signal than the rest of traffic does. So there'll be instances where traffic is at a red light, but a bus will continue to go through its own own lane, um, you know, through that green light. So. Whereas a bus right now driving the same route as a car is probably going a bit slower because it has to stop and pick up people and such, uh, this is actually competitive competitive with a car driving up the same route. So in terms of your commute time, this is a real game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, so uh, for example, these buses, bus, excuse me, these buses <laughs> are 60 foot long as opposed to 40, and um, they're articulated. So kind of what people might think of for lack of other ways to say those like bendy buses that you see in bigger cities, you know, like the twin cities uh, in Chicago and such, that's something that's going to be existing here as well. Um, So again, these are buses that are able to, um, to bypass traffic and really operate as its own form of transportation. And the exciting thing is that uh, it begins here at its Eastern terminus at Sun Prairie. Okay. So we're going to have this soon and we're talking bigger buses, possibly electric, designated lanes definitely electric. able to reach destinations possibly quicker than our personal vehicles this is huge because i know a big reason why some people won't take the bus they'll say oh i, I totally would take the bus but it's going to increase my commute time by 20 minutes and then that's like what turns them away from it because we're kind of driven by convenience in this society so i think this is huge and i'm so happy this is coming to some prairie so a question for you is in madison i've actually seen some bus stops that appear to be out of place like in the median as opposed to traditionally on the side of the road like where the sidewalk is Mm -hmm. are those for brt they are for brt yeah and thank you for asking that we get that a lot so brt stops are roughly about every um half mile again these stops are somewhat less frequent to help make the service rapid um and these stations uh they 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 have roofs on them um they have heated concrete obviously to, to an extent, um, okay. so that you know you can be in a sheltered environment, and not have to stand in the snow, and you can even purchase passes at the station. There'll be those uh, kiosks there where people can do that before uh, boarding the bus. Now, like a common question I think that you're alluding to is like, well, why are some of these stops in the road? Are people going to have to you know uh, walk into East Wash to get on the bus? Well, no, yeah. these buses have um, doors on on both sides. Oh, um, okay. And sometimes to make room for these stations. Um, so, like, for example, a few places on East Washington Avenue, there's just really isn't space to build those that type of station with all those amenities on the side of the road. And where that space exists um, in the median, um, the, you know, where those currently some of those, um, those garden plantings and, and concrete exists, uh, there's room there to put those stations. So that works perfectly seamlessly in a whole litany of other cities where bus rapid transit already exists. So that's not some sort of experiment. That's um, that's a proven measure um, that exists that we're just transferring uh, here to the Madison area. Okay, got it. This is sounding more and more like a subway station or like light rail, like you said, where you have those stops on both sides of the track or the, the lane. 
it functionally works the same way as like mm -hmm. rail it's just a different kind of infrastructure so alexander i've been so interested in brt and and i guess like my big question was i was like okay how are these buses able to travel faster than cars or get to a destination quicker so i was like really digging into this because i wanted to understand how it worked and I did some digging and I found that there's actually communication that occurs between the buses and the traffic signals, which is why they're able to pass through intersections when a vehicle might be stopped. Mm -hmm. So I found that there's both a passive option and an active option when you're implementing BRT with the traffic signals. And um, what I found is that if you choose to implement the passive option, it doesn't solely benefit the transit line, but rather it improves the traffic flow for all vehicles on the route. Um, so what it will do is it will create like a green wave of just like continuous green lights so that the BRT can keep traveling through those without stopping. And of course, vehicles will be able to as well. That's the passive option. And honestly, like even just this basic passive option, it sounds great to me because where I grew up in Detroit, there's this famous highway called Woodward. And since I drove on it so much, I eventually learned that if I set my cruise control at 45 miles per hour, which is exactly the speed limit, I can get through green lights for 10 to 15 miles and never stop. Um, I don't think we have a huge transit on that road, but I think that kind of demonstrates that green wave and how it benefits all drivers on the road. It's a win-win. Certainly. Now, the active option that I learned about is more complicated to set up, but it will greatly improve the flow of traffic solely for the buses. So active will only benefit buses and then cars will be left in the dust. So in this option, the buses are set up with transmitters that are able to communicate with the traffic signal by a series of receivers and signal controllers. Um, so with the setup, the traffic signals are actually able to detect a bus approaching and then change their signal accordingly. So I found that there's four main types of signal prioritization with the active option. Do you mind if I tell you about them? Oh, please do. I'm interested. I was like, I'm just like geeking out about this. Um, <laughs> so the first one is there's something called a green extension. So if a traffic signal is green and it detects that a bus is approaching, it will actually extend the green light long enough so the bus can pass through the intersection. Now, if the traffic signal is red, but it senses a bus approaching, it will shorten the red light so that the signal is green by the time the bus arrives. That second option is called early green. So again, prioritizing the bus. Um, another common signal for BRT is an early red. So if a transit vehicle is approaching an intersection, but it is too far away to make the current green light, even with an extension, the signal will switch to red early to ensure that it will be green again once the bus reaches the intersection. Um, so that's like, those are the three main ones I found. And then the last one is just about setting up the phases of the traffic signals differently. So for example, let's say the light typically is green and then after the green light, it has a green left turn. It might actually rearrange the signals if it would benefit the bus. So if the bus is approaching and it's gonna turn left, it will actually show the green arrow first before showing the green light for continuing forward. Hmm. So it can like rearrange signals. So oh, I thought, yeah, I was like super fascinated with this. I totally geeked out. Um, and I'm recalling that there was a traffic class offered at my university and I wish I would have taken it because I'm sure they cover this and a plethora of other information in it. Um, so I'm sad I didn't sign up for it. Did you happen to take a traffic class? I'm assuming you probably did. I, I did. We had to go over into the engineering school for that a bit. So not as okay. much as I'd like to think, but yeah. yes, I did. Oh, I love that. So, um, what I love about BRT and its communication with the traffic signals is that if you're in a personal vehicle, your commute will actually be dictated by the location of the transit vehicles. Because then you might be getting red lights 
so it's more convenient for the bus. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like this is how it should be. I think the public transit should be receiving priority because if we give priority to the more sustainable option and we make it the most convenient option, then we will have more people on board with public transit. Absolutely. So what would you say are some of the like main benefits to the triple bottom line of sustainability? So society, environment, and economy. What are the benefits of BRT in terms of that, those three pillars? Oh, absolutely. So um, in terms of society and economy, I think we um, we talked a little previously in this episode sort of about economy, sort of mm-hmm. about what the savings you can get with transit. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like that, uh, but um, even more exaggerated with bus rapid transit in, yeah. terms, in terms of your commute time because it is competitive with a car in terms of its timing. Uh, I know one study, um, since I got asked by at least one alder this in the question, just sort of like, you know, how does this really affect ridership? Um, back when Minneapolis uh, introduced bus rapid transit back in its day, uh, ridership um, jumped pretty substantially by about 33% based on what the line was um, right there, which is a really big jump yeah, um, in, that's terms huge. Of, uh, in terms of when you talk about a city like Minneapolis. Now, Madison, for a city of its size, really punches above its weight in terms of you know its ridership along those main lines. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll see really something... Um, like that when when that takes off here and that and in terms of the pocketbook you know that will translate to um you know to people's commute times um you know and their savings uh certainly when we're, we're talking about you know how the transit system works here in some prairie with our local buses meeting with the bus rapid transit at the park and ride um there is that real opportunity too for people to you know even meet meet them halfway you don't necessarily have to take public transit the entire way from your house um, to downtown, you can you know put park your car at the park and ride and treat that as a as a transfer center. You can park your car there for free, um, get on the bus, and then not have to worry about where you're going to park your car in downtown Madison. Which um, is, I'm not saying anything controversial here when I say it is incredibly expensive, yeah. especially if you're working at like the university or um, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, in terms of sustainability, when you have that many more people riding the bus, that's many more. That's that many more cars not on the road. Mm-hmm. That's that many. Also, that's that many cars, you know, not in traffic as well. Another way in which you can transfer your modes is also by bicycle too. So if you want to um, be able to incorporate biking um, into your commute, um, but you're just getting into it, that you, biking from Sun Prairie to Madison. You know that's a tall order to do every day. Yeah. But biking from some prairie, uh, from your home in some prairie to the park and ride, and then putting your uh, your bike on the bus. Okay. That is a much more dual um, doable feat. Oh, definitely. On our current transit system, can you bring a bike on board? Yes. Okay. Well, not strictly on board. There are each bus has um, pull down bike racks on the front of the bus okay. that can fit two bicycles each. Um, but but functionally, yes. Gotcha. There'll be that capacity will be expanded with bus rapid transit though. Okay, awesome. Including and, uh, bike racks at the stations themselves, if that's more appropriate for your situation. Okay, yeah, I was actually going to ask about that. So you mentioned that kind of our contact point with BRT is going to be our park and ride station. So what type of infrastructure changes can we expect to see at our park and ride as we prepare for BRT? Absolutely. Um, so right. Right now, there is some construction going on down there, and if people are wondering what that is, well, what that is is we're building, um, we're tr- treating that more as uh, more of a transfer center. So there will be uh, restrooms for the for the drivers there, um, of course. There will also be um, an electric charging station for the bus, 
Um, the bus rapid transit buses, by the way, are all electric. Um, so that will be um, a charging station for the bus uh, bus there at some point. Okay. Now, in the longer term, and it will be a separate project, but kind of one of these um, quote-unquote good problems that we've run into is that ever since transit took off in Sun Prairie, uh, usage at the park and ride has really gone up. Oh, and it's great. become cl uh, clear to us that we might, you know, reach capacity one of these days in terms of there. So maybe an expansion of the park and ride mm. will be in order at some point, certainly within the next five to ten years. Okay. I would love to see it. I love when we have, like, good problems like that in terms of sustainability. Exactly. So can you fill us in a little bit more on the city of Madison's BRT plans? Because we're being tied into their routes. They're kind of leading this initiative. So – uh, currently, the route that the BRT runs um, exists right now, and you can get there on some prairie. Um, it's the current Madison Route A, uh, and that begins uh, at the Park and Ride and heads down uh, East Washington Avenue uh, un until it gets to the square, then heads through, uh, through the university, um, heads down Whitney Way, and then down Mineral Point, where it ends on the west side of town um, over by Junction Road, so somewhat past uh, West Town Mall. Um, those stations will be um, spaced apart um, every half mile, and uh, this system is going to be um, launching uh, in less than a year. Um, so Metro is uh, the we don't know an exact date yet, but it's going to be late 2024. Okay. So let's let's say October or such. So that's really um, that's about ten nine to ten months away. That's yeah. that's really quick. Yeah, it's coming soon. I'm so excited. Absolutely, and um, maybe this is getting off the topic of some prairie, but uh, Madison is already holding a lot of community engagement is in the planning processes for um, a second bus rapid transit route. Wow. Not to here in some prairie, but that'll be a north to south route, whereas this one is uh, an east to west route. So that one will be really the same, but connecting from Fitchburg to the north side of Madison as well. Okay, so really covering a big part of our county. Uh, uh, certainly of the Madison area, yes. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, I will just also add that... Um, one of the many, many changes that are taking place with Metro Transit this year. Um, when BRT um, takes off, um, they are also working right now on making it so that you'll be able to check in with like an app or a credit card with the bus um, when you get on the bus as well. That's not a capability that um, exists on, on the buses right now. Mm -hmm. So with that ease of access to be able to pay your fare rather than having to, you know, have exactly two dollars in cash because the drivers can't you know break change for you right. that'll be something that makes riding the bus that much easier hopefully by the end of the year for sure yeah i feel like i get anxiety like trying to make sure i have my money ready before the bus arrives and then like you don't have enough or you like you don't have change and then you like panic like what do i do the drivers are friendly too but it wasn't intimidating <laughs> experience the first couple times i rode the bus as I well i feel you so this is going to solve so many problems we currently have with transit exactly Okay, so, so far in this episode, we've heard a lot about public transit and BRT, which has been awesome. But I just want to point out that there are other sustainable transportation options, and we really need a diverse portfolio of transportation options in order to be successful in our fight against climate change and reducing emissions. So, for example, we have rideshare options. Um, we could switch to alternative vehicles, such as EVs. We can, of course, bike, walk, rollerblade, whatever it may be. Um, so I guess I'm trying to picture how we can successfully integrate all of these different transportation options into our streets in a way that is safe and benefits the environment. Um, right now, I feel like a majority of our roads and streets are built solely for personal vehicles. So if you're lucky, sometimes there might be a five foot sidewalk on the side of the road or maybe there is a bike lane on the edge of the road. Um, but these can sometimes be viewed as dangerous depending on the road or also inconvenient. 
So can you maybe help us understand what the roads of the future will look like and how we can successfully integrate all of these diverse forms of transportation? Absolutely. Certainly within transportation um, dialogue nationally and uh, really internationally at this point is to move to a mode of streets of what we call as um, what we call complete streets. Okay. And complete street really that talks about that really takes from the old school way of thinking, which is just you know looking at the road and moving traffic and accommodating traffic flow to really looking at the entire public right of way of the road and talk about all users and how the road can um, talk about all users. And again, that does include cars. That's not saying we're not thinking about cars or freight because that is important, but we're also um, weighing of equal importance to people who um, who are cycling. Uh, bicycling of course uh, for anyone who lives in the neighborhood and is getting getting by by walking so thinking about proper pedestrian amenities anyone who does happen to be taking the bus if you want to take it a step further not just people who are walking but you know people with disabilities who have mobility devices making sure that you know you don't just have that sidewalk but you have a an easy environment for someone, for example, in a wheelchair to, to be able to, to get around. Right. So that's really, instead of just looking at, you know, the pavement, we're talking about looking at the entire roadway and how that really fits in with the land use um, of the community that that road happens to be in. And that's something that we're, we're trying to um, apply here in Sun Prairie as well. Okay. I, so do you feel like with Complete Streets, is the idea to actually reduce the number of drive lanes and replace them with like a BRT lane or maybe like a, a bigger designated bike lane? Is that kind of what we see with Complete Streets? It can be, but it very much depends on the road. And okay. I think one beautiful thing about this um, this philosophy, and I think a really common misconception is that, you know, to some of the naysayers of Complete Streets, they'll be saying like, you know, oh, well, we're just putting... Uh, bike lanes where no one's going to be riding their bike anyway, or we're just putting them there pro forma. Well, it's not exactly like that. A complete street can mean something completely different if you're talking about just, you know, a local road um, here in Sun Prairie that, you know, that just has single family homes and um, just has pretty slow traffic um, versus something that's really more of a freeway style road, kind of like what we have um, on, you know, Grand Avenue. So, for example, a complete street on Grand Avenue. Um, looks very different. Um, so one thing we have, you know, for example, wide paths there, and we would want to be like having wider pedestrian infrastructure on the side of the road that's removed more from the roadway than you might have in a neighborhood to not only have that be an area where you can technically walk, but one where it's it's comfortable to walk. Right. Walking right, you know, if you have a sidewalk, you know, that's technically there right along the highway, it's technically safe, but that's, you know, very unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And you can say the same thing, you know, especially about, you know, a bike lane on the side side of the road there. You technically do have that dedicated space, but next to 40 mile per hour traffic, you might want to have um, a protected facility there. So when we talk yeah. about complete streets in that regard, that's something we want to think of, not to mention transit. Now, of course, on a local road, we're not necessarily putting bike lanes on every single neighborhood street or anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, when we're looking at, you know, obviously you want to make sure traffic moves and you do want to make sure it does move, but we, we don't want wider lanes than necessary because right. wide lanes creates um, an environment for faster traffic, mm -hmm. which is not as friendly or considerate, you know, to your neighbors, right. um, literally in a residential setting. Um, and uh, incorporating bikeability in there, you know, might talk more about narrowing the roadway to just what you need to get traffic to move back and forth, but also making sure that it's a shared roadway and that bicyclists can be comfortable sharing the road with traffic and that can uh, 
take many forms. Um, for example, that can be speed tables, uh, shared arrow markings uh, within the road, and signage to, to designate a bike route. So again, it, it really is uh, context-heavy. It depends what road we're talking about. It's not just okay. a formulaic process. I like that. We have to adapt it to the different areas of our cities. Exactly. Going back to the bike lanes, um, you had me- mentioned some protective measures for mm-hmm. the bikers. What does that look like? Is it ever just like a physical like barrier or like median between like driving lanes and the bike lanes? Uh, it certainly it can be. Um, okay. And we don't really have a great equivalent of that in some prairie right now. Kind of the closest what you have is kind of some of that recent construction that we had on Bird Street where you have a particularly wide 15-foot path. Mm -hmm. There aren't on-street bike lanes, but there is a much wider 15-foot path, which is different from our 10-foot, because that actually dedicates 5-foot to the pedestrians and dedicates a whole another 10-foot section to bicyclists as well. So that is in and of itself um, somewhat of a protected facility. Um, what we see, we see, I think more of what you're referring to is something that we do see um, in Madison, kind of like what we have in terms of cycle tracks. So, for example, on University Avenue, there is a bike lane that does that goes the opposite direction of traffic, but there is a concrete barrier uh, oh. that separates the traffic from the bike lane there. Okay, that probably makes people feel like the most safe having some sort of barrier. Exactly. So, of course, that's for a, a major road like University, but that application, you know, certainly could be applied in other places. Okay. Do we ever see barriers, and whether it's barriers between the, the driving lane and the bike lane or between, like, the sidewalk and the driving lane, do we ever see barriers that incorporate trees or, like, green spaces? Uh, certainly, yeah. So one of the um, beauties about narrowing the road in a complete street um, situation is that, you know, we're talking about the entire street. So, of course, uh, the entire public right-of-way. So when you reduce the, the surface pavement, uh, what you have left is uh, more room for the terrace. And I think this might be something you'd be able to speak to with more expertise than I, but certainly that creates sort of um, a larger physical barrier between you know, pedestrians and the roadway. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, just from an economic perspective too, um, that creates sort of a sense of having you know, a larger uh, front yard and a more neighborhood feel. Yeah. And certainly um, creating more of the, that, those friendlier areas to travel in other ways besides a car does is shown to you know promote property values um, in terms of your neighborhoods or when you're applying that to um, a commercial area being more walkable does create a more friendly um, environment that attracts businesses and economic development mm. so it's real it's really isn't just a transportation benefit it's a community-wide benefit as well yeah the triple bottom line exactly. I guess speaking of that since we are talking about benefits could you fill us in on any other benefits you see to the complete streets oh absolutely I mean for one, of course, is I think where I sort of got ahead of myself on this question here, right, where we mentioned um, that, you know, um, that these complete streets that incorporate all users are shown in the long run to, to boost property values, um, to make for more attractive, livable neighborhoods and economic development. But also from a more utilitarian perspective, too, they're also cheaper. So the old school uh, way of thinking is to prioritize traffic flow, which often creates, um, you know, sometimes unnecessary parking lanes where they're not necessary and wider travel lanes that aren't necessary. Mm -hmm. That creates for wider pavement, and pavement is expensive. Pavement is really expensive, not just to build, but to maintain over its entire life cycle. So when you talk about narrowing a particular street by a couple feet to just the amount of width that you have necessary, 
that might not be that much savings for one particular road, but when you're applying that to your road reconstructions from year to year, that really amounts to millions of dollars of savings, which wow. when we're talking about, you know, you and I are creatures of the public sector, that is huge. That's yeah. that many more other projects that we can dedicate that money to, you know, make life better for people in the city of Sun Prairie. There's also, of course, those sustainability um, benefits, too, where you have that much more green space that are, mm -hmm. you know, of course, better for the um, better for the environment and makes more rooms for tree plantings and such. Although I imagine you probably have um, even more technical expertise you can weigh on on that part as well. But it's certainly more environmentally friendly in that regard. Right, definitely. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but I wanted to comment on the fact that, um, like, the cost of concrete and building these roads. Mm -hmm. So I also think that when we're removing more cars off the street, meaning that more people are biking, walking, or taking a BRT system or public transit, then our roads are actually going to last longer because they won't have as much wear and tear on them. So I think that's another big benefit if you're looking at long-term savings for um, cities to implement complete streets. Absolutely. Uh, we are very heavily focused right now on Vision Zero in the city of Sun Prairie. So Vision Zero meaning um, zero deaths or um, serious injuries as a result of traffic crashes mm -hmm. um, as a goal. Um, and one way, and one of the most effective ways to achieve that is through complete streets. Okay. Um, so that is really just, um, there is a lot of research that just, that just shows that narrowing a traffic lane, for example, from 11 feet to 10 feet, so just one foot, nothing that dramatic, really slows uh, traffic in such a dramatic, uh, tra uh, dramatic way where, you know, if like the really unfortunate thing happens where uh, a car collides um, with a person and causes an injury, that three or four mile per hour difference that that car is going might mean life and death for somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we've had uh, some very unfortunate instances of pedestrian deaths here in some prairies. So honestly, even just saving one or two lives is, is worth it, if, if nothing else. Yeah, definitely. So I did want to move into the environmental benefits. Mm -hmm. um, again, I really took a deep dive into this because <laughs> I'm so interested in how complete streets can help us achieve a greener future. And one of the first benefits I came across is a big reduction in the heat island effect. So for those who aren't familiar with this, when you have a big concentrated amount of asphalt or concrete, such as on our traditional streets where you just have a wide road followed by sidewalks on either side, you're actually going to experience the heat island effect. So the concrete and the asphalt will actually absorb a lot of the heat coming from the sun, and it could raise the temperature of that local area by up to seven degrees Fahrenheit, just from that absorption and the heat coming off the pavement. So I'm sure on really hot days, if we're out on a blacktop somewhere, we can feel that heat, especially in parking lots. Mm -hmm. That is the heat island effect. So the heat island effect can result in compromised human health and comfort and also increased air pollution levels because of those higher temperatures. Now with complete streets, there's typically a prioritization for green spaces and trees like you had mentioned. And trees actually directly combat the heat island effect because they provide shade to surfaces, they deflect the sun's radiation, and they release moisture into the local atmosphere, all of which help to keep the temperature lower. So this is one huge benefit of complete streets that I read into. Um, but also related to this, of course, when you have trees and other plants incorporated into your streets, you'll have automatic carbon sequestration, which will help to pull CO2 out of the atmosphere and reduce those local emission levels. And then these green spaces could also become habitat space for our little local animals. And if you do include special plants, you could actually create a habitat for pollinators as well. So we're talking native flowering plants that um, our local bees can visit. So I think 
based on all of that and then our discussion of like safety benefits and economic benefits, I truly believe that complete streets do help to advance the triple bottom line of sustainability. Certainly. So you had talked about how we have some like some complete streets here in Sun Prairie. Are there plans currently to add more complete streets? Certainly. Um, and certainly ever since we completed our active transportation plan, it's really um, solidified within our city plans that every year when we're, whether we're repaving streets or reconstructing streets, um, it is within the city processes to figure out how can we make these um, these streets complete. Uh, as a matter of form, are we making sure that bicyclists can get through um, slash figuring out the best way that they can be accommodated? Same for pedestrians, while also making sure, of course, that uh, cars can get through um, and that parking is provided, but being done in a, in a way that is, is safe, um, both for the driver uh, you know, and for, for residents and for you know, other users besides single occupancy vehicles. Um, and certainly some projects, you know, that happen to be coming up even just in the next year um, for, for road reconstruction projects. So, for example, um, O'Keefe Avenue is, um, is being resurfaced next year. And that's being done in a bit more of a complete streets way. And this really goes to show that this doesn't really have to be that heavy-handed an option. So anyone in here in Sun Prairie knows that O'Keefe Avenue is very, very wide. Uh, as you get to heading north here toward the, the media center, um, what currently exists right now are two 14-foot travel lanes for a 25-mile-per-hour road um, in the roadway, which is which is excessive for a neighborhood street. Um, a relatively small touch that we're able to do to make this complete is just to get the get those two lanes down to 11 foot and put on um, a six-foot uh, bike lane, which is uh, which is a very healthy length for uh, for a bike lane. Not to mention that we'll be extending the path. Uh, north going all the way to, to Linnerud Drive. Um, so, and speaking of Linnerud, right out here too, um, we're also narrowing that roadway to incorporate on-street bike lanes um, bike lanes as well uh, and to improve the pedestrian crossings there as well because right now what exists is while there is technically sidewalk, we don't really have anything in the way of mid-block crossings and such. Okay. We're incorporating that so you know just out here where um, residents can uh, comfortably walk and cross from Sheehan Park to the public library to the aquatic center mm -hmm. um, and all and, and all that so that's just a couple examples and we're going to be doing that on a uh, from a year-to-year -year basis obviously depending on the street it's all going to look different okay that makes sense and I feel like sometimes these upgrades of our streets to complete streets aren't too difficult uh, that's kind of what it sounds like if it means shortening a lane that's kind of striping work, right? Mm -hmm. And then adding a bike lane is also striping work. It could be that simple sometimes. Exactly. And for a more involved project, like with Vandenberg Street, the street's just in very bad condition. It has to be entirely reconstructed. It's going to be narrowed. Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be more green space. There's going to be less pavement. So it's going to be less expensive to maintain in the long run. Right. You know, and not to mention uh, a common drawback as well. Won't that be hard for snowplows? Well, when you create those wider terraces, it also creates more space for you know snow, snow storage. So um, yeah. anyone who I think who's you know driving on city streets right now might know that you know some of that snow is uh, spilling out into the roads a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, it that plays that additional role um, here in a, a northern climate as well. All right. Uh, Alexander, is there anything else you would like to add? I think we're approaching the end of the episode. Oh, I 
I don't think so. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more coming down the line here. I'm just, um, yeah, excited to see what 2024 holds. All right. We'll have you back in the future. We'll talk about, like, at that point, we'll have more complete streets. We'll have BRT in place. We'll have electric buses. So we'll be excited to talk about that in the future. But thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a delight chatting with you. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Rose. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Sustainable Sun Prairie with your host, Rose Daly. I hope you enjoyed this episode and uncovered something new about sustainability. As always, you can subscribe to our podcast and listen anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you can listen live on 103.5 FM The Sun, WLSPLP, and on demand on the Sun Prairie Media Center app. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, as well as our contact info, please visit the show notes. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.